Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Excited to introduce our guest today, Mia Talavera, Director of Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Benefit Cosmetics, LVMH. Welcome, Mia. Thanks, Mario. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to talk with you today. Yeah, excited to to have you on. Um, Before we dive in and talk more specifically about your role, would love to learn um, about your career journey. I mean, I I had the chance to kind of look at your LinkedIn, look at some of your work experience. Um, Tell us how tell us how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think I'll probably not be the first to say, but like most people who find themselves one day in like a very interesting kind of engaging career, you don't necessarily have like a cookie cutter path to get there. And maybe that's you can relate to that yourself. Like now you're doing podcasting and you're interviewing different professionals. Perhaps when you're in school, you never thought like that's what I'm going to be doing. And (laughs) for sure, honestly, it was the same with me. I think, um, you know, what I'm I'm not going to date myself per se, but thinking back like university days, I mean, I have a pretty, what I would say is like general degree, you know, took business, took commerce, um, knew that in some capacity that I wanted to work um, for like a private, private industry, private holding kind of firm. Um, I had an internship and I found myself working in architecture and many people are surprised when I say, I worked many years in architecture and engineering, not being an architect nor an engineer, but I worked on the corporate side of business. And actually, I started my career very much so um, in like strategic planning, you know, HR, like roles that I think you would say are, you know, um, not necessarily um, the services of like what the business would be in architecture. But I never thought that I would get into diversity, equity, inclusion. And I say that at the time, but actually now that I have a chance to think about it, knowing what I know now about myself and, you know, my own heritage and kind of tapping into some of the experiences I had early on in my career, I think that I was always meant to talk about, you know, things around diversity, equity, inclusion, because the work that I'm doing now was very much so influenced about, you know, who I was as an individual. And I identify as like a biracial woman, you know, I'm a millennial, um, cisgendered, and I was working in architecture in a very male dominated industry, um, as most architecture firms are, um, where probably the subset of workforce was like 70% men, maybe even more, maybe 75% men, you know, 25% women. And I just realized early on that, like, I didn't necessarily see people that looked like me, whether that was like women identifying or, or a racialized individual, Um, that were really represented in leadership or just in general in teams. Um, Very early in my career, I had worked actually up until working here at Benefit and coming into cosmetics. I only worked for men. I worked in like, again, very much so um, male dominated groups and departments. Um, And it was very eye opening for me, I think, thinking back then, you know, over 10 years ago about what kind of, how am I going to, what kind of work am I going to be able to implement or like how successful am I going to be when I don't necessarily see others like me doing this work? That's not necessarily how I got into DNI, but I think just to share that I had an affiliation with like diversity is important. And I too was curious about like, 
how can companies um, leverage the diversity they have, use it as a strength, and also, you know, thinking through about like inclusion, you know, the experiences I had, I don't think at that time necessarily, I felt like I was in a place of belonging. I think I much so didn't necessarily feel like I belonged um, when I worked in architecture. But like most people, I got a really cool opportunity. Um, I remember a new leader had started and he had talked about diversity inclusion. And and back in the day, you know, we never talked about equity as we, we do now. I don't even think they were calling it diversity inclusion. I think they were talking it about like people engagement or employee engagement. And now we know today that engagement and inclusion are two different things. But anyways, I was asked to look into and do some research around DNI and um I was assigned it kind of like a task. And as, as I started learning about it, I realized that so much again of like my own story, my own heritage, my own identity was so much tied into this work, which is how can companies identify that there are cultural differences in the workplace and how do you leverage those differences to make business results, but also create like efficiencies and like grow the revenue of your business. Um, and I was very impressionable of that. And I just made it my mission when I was working in architecture that I want to do this work and I was advocating for underrepresented groups. And I was honestly just advocating for like more resources um, and more equity for people who felt marginalized like myself. Did that for like a few years, was doing that for eight years. And then the pandemic happened. And like most of us, um, the pandemic really rocked my world. And it made me think about what else do I want to do in, in this in this lifetime that we have. And, you know, obviously all of us were thinking through about like, is this it? Like, you know, what's going to come into the workplace? And I just kind of put it out and I'm, I'll, I'll preface the same, a little bit of like a spiritual person. So I kind of prayed about it and put it out into the universe that like, I want to change and I want to be able to do the work I'm doing now, but generate it to be for like a bigger audience and obviously get experience outside of just architecture. And someone from benefit contacted me and kind of the rest is history. You know, they were looking for someone to help do this work. And by work, I mean, creating like inclusive strategies and leveraging diverse workforces. Um, and I was, I got the position and it's been, it's been awesome. I've been now working in industry for the last two years. And I, and I want to say that I feel still relatively new. I mean, there are people that have worked in beauty their whole career, I'm still much a newbie and I'm still learning the ropes of what it is to be in the, um, in the beauty industry, but it's just been super fascinating. And I feel so good now that I can talk about diversity inclusion and help benefit be a brand that's going to be seen as this like inclusive global beauty brand. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and, and I reached out to you because I feel like beauty, um, I, like the beauty industry and the cosmetic industry just has such a big impact on how we perceive diversity and inclusion kind of in culture in general. And I think yes. also on the flip side of that, I think it's one of the industries that's been more of a leader or a thought leader when it comes to diversity and inclusion in their own organizations as well as in marketing. So that's that's pretty amazing that um, – you know, you, you made that shift and you're definitely the work you're doing, I feel like, is impacting a larger audience. And I, and I want to talk a little bit about that. But um, can you tell us a little bit about just Benefit Cosmetics in general? And um, I know it's under the LVMH brand. Like, can you yes. just tell us about the like the company and kind of how it falls under the, the portfolio of larger LVMH? 
Sure. I mean, we are um, we are a subsidiary, yes, of, of the powerhouse LVMH, and we fall under their perfumes and cosmetics sector. Um, anyone that knows LVMH, they have over 75 brands, or maisons is the French term, of um, companies that are an umbrella of wines and spirits, beauty, like I said, you know, fashion, leather goods, hoteling, um, travel. We would necessarily, we we just sit necessarily around consumer goods around beauty. Um, Benefit was acquired by LVMH actually over 40 years ago in the 70s. And it was a individual private um, San Francisco based beauty company that was owned and operated and basically created by these two twin sisters, um, Jean and Jane Ford, who are still so much part of Benefit's legacy as being like a, a woman empowerment beauty brand, but also a beauty brand that speaks a lot about, you know, women's empowerment, gender equality, um, basically woman first. That's kind of the mentality. And to this day, even though so many years have passed, Benefit is like a 90% um, you know, workforce representing of women or, or women identifying individuals. And that's been pretty significant because we feel at the core of benefit that we are um, a beauty brand that's about feeling good, making people feel good. And obviously part of feeling good is looking good, um, but it's really on the mission of these two sisters that they wanted benefit to be just different from beauty brands where it's about helping people feel their best, but also creating products that are like solving issues and I'm not going to go into like the details because every beauty brand has their own niche, but I think benefit is really special because significantly we want to create products that are helping people um, fix like beauty problems that they have. And so that's, that's great. And I, I didn't know that history. So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. And so you, you, you had mentioned that uh, benefit reached out to you. Was this a newly created position um, or was this a position they already had and looking to No, it was it was new. I mean, I can, I, I won't, um, I mean, I could go on about it, but I, I mean, we can talk about other things, but I would say that, you know, where Benefit was two years ago, I think was still very much so in the early days of their DNI journey. And I don't want to take credit for, you know, being the one to necessarily start their diversity and inclusion work. I think that they are already internally were looking inward towards themselves of, you know, we know that this is important work, but they didn't necessarily have a strategy. They didn't even necessarily, I think, have an idea of like who was going to be driving some of this work. So I certainly did that. And obviously when I was hired, you know, that was one of the first things I was set to do was create the long-term strategy across the entirety of the business. And also, you know, collecting information and, and speaking with staff and employees about informing like what would make our key priorities. But I think that this idea about accepting differences and valuing people has always been part of the benefit DNA. And I think it goes into benefit as a brand that for sure internally from an organizational standpoint wants to prioritize people. But I don't necessarily think that it was necessarily a um, like someone's someone's like line of responsibility Obviously, 2020, a lot of things happened. There was a lot of political context. And honestly, not just in beauty, but many industries around the world have been moving towards, you know, being really intentional about designing workplace culture. And so they did create this position. And I am the first person to hold this department and to lead the work um, since it was created two years ago. Let, let's dive in. And I, I, this is this is the meat of it. And, um, you know, just to give you some context, our listeners have a deep 
some have a DEI background, have been in there for a while. Some yeah. are just interested and and maybe starting at their organization. So I always feel like this is the this is great stuff to get into, like where yeah. where benefit was and and where you taken it because it. I think one of the one of the feedback that I get the most is like a lot of the times it feels overwhelming for people stepping into a new DNI role or someone that's interested in an organization and starting something. So like, yeah, I want to hear like, how did it feel for you knowing there was some framework there, as you mentioned, but um, really you were taking it to the next step. Like, how did you tackle that seemingly big job? I mean, if I'm being honest, I think I was a little bit, uh, I think I was pleased to hear, I mean, anyone who's listening, that's like a DNI practitioner, like myself, like you want to hear from like any kind of business that there actually is like an imperative to do this work, whether that's a moral imperative or a business imperative, you, it makes you feel good that even before, you know, you've been hired and obviously to lead the work that there was like a true commitment intention that the people that whether who are like driving the business or if it's investors want to see that there's like a cultural shift because they fundamentally believe that like this is good work. I think it's more alarming when someone's like, hey, we want you to lead DNI, and we actually like don't even really know why we're doing this work. So I want to be clear to say that, you know, benefit being part of LVMH's ecosystem you know, right from the very top of LVMH, I think it was clear to all the businesses that there was a business and moral imperative to do this work. They had made a global commitment, you know, um, again, as LVMH saying that this is crucial for the way that they wanted to involve a business. And honestly, they hire over 150,000 talents around the world. So to me, it's just fundamental to their belief. So I knew going into the role that perhaps at benefit level and in, in our beauty company, there wasn't a real framework, but there already was a commitment that was signified. And so that made me feel good. I don't think I, you know, and again, coming from architecture, and it has been a learning curve where maybe at that time, I didn't realize that, yeah, there's going to be, um, there's going to be different trainings, there's going to be different resources, we're talking to fundamentally a different group of employees. I'm in a whole new industry, DNI looks different in beauty than it does in architecture. Um, now I'm talking about products. And a big part of the work that Benefit does and, and other companies within LVMH is thinking about how do we focus on DNI that also um, expands on not just the way that we're building culture, but the products we're developing, you know, the work um, and the marketing that we're designing, because a lot of the things that we do at LVMH has a external factor. And I think that's, if I'm being truly honest, and not that I was scared, but I was like, okay, like I have to learn to do some of this. And obviously, um, think through and, and look into my own strengths and my own knowledge about how can I help benefit and position them to be this inclusive brand that's also creating an inclusive line of products, has branding to match, and obviously impacting DNI across all elements of the business, not just focused as a an HR issue, because DNI is so much more than an HR issue. Yeah, that that's really interesting to me. So I, you know, um I'm an entrepreneur. I uh, we think now is a market research firm focused on multicultural consumers in the U.S. And so Great. we we work a lot with multicultural marketers. Um, and I have been seeing the the line blur, and that's why I invited you to the podcast as well. Is like the line blur between D and I and multicultural marketing. Um, 
And so it's so tell me about that. Like where how how are you involved on the product innovation side? And I want to also hear like how are you involved on the marketing side of things? Like um, yeah, I want I want to hear yeah, more about yeah, yeah. that. No, it's and I I'm really happy to hear that you know from your side like you've seen that connection and I think more and more um, people from both the marketing standpoint and obviously product development but even from from me see that like D and I truly is like a 360 approach to business. It's not just necessarily looking at like policies and practices and and leadership, although that's a big piece of it, but certainly in beauty and when we talk about you know some of the shifts that have been happening beauty over the um over the years is we need to think more strategically about yeah the products itself the marketing that it comes with that product so i can share a benefit that a critical evolution for the brand and again there already was some thoughts towards this even before i started is that we we wanted benefit to be a company that yeah we can say and toot our horn that like yeah we're super inclusive and we're hiring people from all backgrounds and you know we're trying to eliminate bias and all the processes and all those things that come around with having there be more inclusive um, practices but we also wanted to be a brand that says before knowing all of that when you come into a Sephora in Alta one of our brow um, boutiques our locations are the products that we are creating and testing and putting out into the world just based on people's product preferences? Do you think that these products are something that are truly inclusive? And as an example, are these products are going to be able to be used from people from, you know, diverse backgrounds or like a spectrum of skin tones, or are these products going to be offered to people from, you know, numerous socioeconomic backgrounds? Like there's a lot of thought that goes into um, the products that are being designed and, I can't speak for the product innovation team, but I think for me, I had already gotten the commitment, you know, right off the gate that even though, and just to give people some more thoughts about product testing, you know, when you see a product that gets put on a shelf, that product has been in kind of like the tester mode and being thought through, you know, many years before it even makes to like consumer facing. So by the time that I had joined Benefit, they already had in the queue um, either expanding shade shades that they wanted, like shade expansion for products that they had, or already thinking about and designing new products um, specifically based on um, wanting to cater to diverse consumers or thinking about consumers that have not always had product preferences. And so what I mean by that is um, to give an example, and I can talk about it now because it's no longer a secret, but Benefit had just launched their pores line, which has been one of the first products where we're asking um, our community to think about using our products that is designed for skin, not necessarily terms of like shade, cosmetic shade, or, you know, cosmetics per se in terms of, um, you know, lipsticks and concealers, but thinking through of skin, because we know skin is something that regardless of who you have and what diverse background and how you present yourself, everyone has skin, but you know, skin, yeah, there are some differences. And so they wanted to create a line that could clearly be tested on array of people offered inclusively. And ultimately is like a universal product that again, no matter who you are, you can use our product. Um, and that's kind of the mentality that we've been embracing at Benefit that not for every product, mind you, but first for certainly for our global products and things that we want to offer across, like again, um, globally, a group of people, we want it to be offered inclusively. So there was a commitment. And then some of the things that they've done since then, if it's not designing new products, they've gotten back to go to 
other products and say, okay, we may have made this concealer in 12 shades, but you know what? We want to be more inclusive. We want, again, these products to be um, used and picked up by people from diverse backgrounds. So they've extended the shades so that there could be 30. But I would say for me, um, even just creating the products, I think another step that is even more important is that there's so much work that goes behind the scenes when it comes to product testing. And like I said, thinking through about when it's in the lab to even um, getting it to be tested through like consumer groups. So Benefit is committed to, you know, we're sourcing ingredients and products all around the world. And we have our teams going to Japan or they're going to Italy or they're going to France or even within the US. And they're even thinking through of like, how can we um, invite different consumers who can be part of our testing initiatives just so from the get-go to make sure that the products that we're attributing to really can be embracing um, like innovation in that way from diverse consumers. Uh, yeah, that's so interesting. I think because I, I, I love that holistic approach because I think for me, right, it's not knowing too much about the cos cosmetic or beauty industry, but you know, I, I think people that are not familiar with that industry, when we think of diversity and inclusion, we just think of the different shades, right? Um, yeah. But there's there's so much more. And I mean, like you mentioned, this, um, skin type, right? That is a type of, of diversity that's not necessarily about shade. Um, what, are, what are some other like D&I issues that are unique to the cosmetic industry? I mean, we, we talked about a couple, like you mentioned, like, um, shades, um, skin type. Um, yeah. What, what are some other kind of just more sure. broadly about the cosmetic industry? I mean, there's a couple that I would say that I think are more well known, but I think that they, they're, they've seen as a positive thing. One of those things that I think is a true opportunity for the beauty industry is that women and again, women identifying groups considerably make up the large proportion of the consumer base of cosmetics. And that's not a surprise, but I think what's important to note is that even though women tend to be, you know, again, the basis of who's purchasing these products, who's using them, you know, who are engaging with our advertising, when you actually look at who's represented in the beauty companies, and these are the people who are like directing and obviously managing and, and making up the leadership, we don't see as much gender diversity, which is surprising and honestly for me a little bit disappointing it still tends to be more of men that are making up at that board executive level of who's driving the beauty um, community and substantially we would want to see and i'd want to see um that we would have true like gender equity and that that doesn't necessarily mean all women but i would love to see more in beauty as a whole where we have representation from both male and females at that like steering co-level again who is like making these essentially like market decisions on who gets to have these products where are the products sold you know talking about all the suppliers and so i think gender is still something that's an opportunity and i think beauty industry in general is well placed for progress i mean over the last three years beauty standards have changed like drastically and i mean they're going to continue to shift but i think now that we're welcoming new generations, you know, Gen Z is a huge player when it comes into the beauty industry. I think that there's just been a bit of a push and an ask to see that there is more diversity and diversity of thought, mind you, about who is um, running these businesses. And I don't have the numbers, you know, on the top of my head, but I think when it comes to like female representation, 
at like a board level, I think there's like maybe a handful of companies that have like female CEOs. But if you look at like, again, the consumer um, groups and, and who really is has the purchasing power, the majority, like more than 70% is females. Um, and another, I don't want to say that it's a trend, but I think something that we've seen again in the past three years is that like, there is a ton of untapped ethnic diversity um, purchasing power that exists in the beauty industry. You know, I know there's some numbers that were released like a year ago that like, just even in like the black and Latino, um, Latina communities, they hold like over 70% of like the purchasing consumer power. So if you think about that, you know, we have like an untapped group of like ethnic communities that have a lot of money that they're using, you know, on their own to buy beauty products, whether that's like hair, cosmetics, you know, skincare. Um, but they, but there are beauty brands that don't necessarily, like I said, cater to them, create products that are meant for them. And to me, just from a business standpoint, I mean, you're just losing out on, on good business because you have people who um, really have a lot of power to spend and we're not necessarily beauty as a whole creating products where we see like ethnic diversity being represented in the products being created. Yeah, no. And, and there are some brands you see, right. That have, um, kind of startups that are catering specifically to those communities that have, have had a lot of success. And they're doing so well because they, what, in my opinion are, you know, they're not only um, marketing, but they're also like creating the relationship. So I think it's one thing to say, like, we have products and you know what, this is going to meet your skin tone and you should purchase from us. I think what's even better. And, you know, some of the work we're starting to do at benefit is like, how do we actually develop like meaningful relationships with some of these um, underrepresented communities and not just saying like, Hey, we're creating products, but like also how can we do some due diligence and hear from you and bring you in to hear like, what more could we be creating that suits your unique needs? Because, you know, there's, not one product suits all and also speaking up and helping them from like creating an outreach opportunity. Like what can we do as a brand that's obviously marketing to you, selling our products, but helping you directly with your own community. I think that's something that's like um, that we're seeing more and more beauty companies do. Can you tell us about what benefits doing? And, and if not, that's totally cool too. Like, cause I know that we might be getting into some stuff that maybe not ready to share, but I'm just curious like in terms yeah. of creating that re relationship, would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I mean, I can share with you that from like, again, the inception of our company being led by like two female entrepreneurs that there has always been like a silver lining as, you know, even though we're like a consumer-based company and we're creating products for profit, we do want to be a beauty brand that is focused on increasing the visibility of like women and obviously empowering women, whether it's challenging status quo or helping women overcome barriers that are like necessarily oppressing them. And obviously there's been a lot of that in, in the news in today's world. And I think benefit from a few years ago, I don't have, you know, exact dates, but we have created our bold is beautiful campaign, which is not only does benefit create products, but we also do services and we do brow waxes where we have in the month of August that a portion of our sales for the entire month across, you know, all of our global operations is directly being um, donated to women owned organizations or 
I should say women rights organizations. And, you know, we have over like 25 partners, but some of them that we have are being specifically centered around women's health rights, um, women's empowerment, education, you know, um, supporting girls, awareness for uh, women's cancer, you know, breast cancer awareness, um, helping women in need, you know, refugee. We have like a UK partnership that's focused on helping women from lower socioeconomic backgrounds that are like on refugee status. So I'm proud to say that Benefit has been a beauty brand that like does want to, yes, cater to women and creating products for women, but also using some of our uh, power to create uh, ways that we can generate profit to help women in need. And we've had charity partners, like I said, since the seventies where we've, whether we've designed product that's been helping for them, or we've even created opportunities um, for these organizations to just get like more awareness. So if you check out our like Instagrams, we have like a lot of benefit cosmetic Instagram accounts. We often feature different charity partners and have them kind of take over our platforms, talk about their work they're doing, you know, fundraise for them um, just as a way that we can give back to the community. Because like I said, the, the theme of women empowerment and gender equality is so much so of benefits like history. I love that. And, and um, it's great to hear. I, I just had um, the head of diversity for UPS on and mm. she was talking about um, they similarly have like, like a nonprofit arm of UPS that's helping women entrepreneurs. Um, so it's just great to see this trend moving, moving forward. Right. Um, yeah. And I guess, I mean, in that spirit, we're, we're almost at the end of our time. What, what are you most excited about in, in 2023? Like some initiatives that you can share that, that you'll be rolling out or um, yes. just in general? Well, yeah. I will say that, you know, another priority, because I, I think I talked a lot about, you know, talking about like gender as being kind of like a topic that we, we definitely advertise consumer facing. But I think for me is just excited to talk about like other dimensions of diversity outside of gender and having benefit be a brand that's also accelerating conversations around disability, around LGBTQ inclusion, around mental health, actually more than more so than ever, we are really gearing up to talk a lot about mental health. You know, last year, um, we had like a small campaign online that celebrated World Mental Health Day. And again, trying to raise awareness to reduce the stigma associated talking about mental health. Um, we also sponsored a ton of pride parades this year. We're also going to be doing a pride campaign where we're going to be hoping I can't speak too much about it because It'll be more announced in June, but again, um, just creating more opportunities to market to, but also um, to speak into kind of the ether about what are other uh, D&I priorities or like barriers that people face and that how can we as a beauty brand get behind and also help um, create just more awareness for these issues. At the same time, you know, using our platform, um, using our privilege to bring people from these underrepresented groups, again, to advocate and talk about things that matter and just ensuring that we can create a, a community with our own benefit community that we also have products that are supporting people from like many dimensions of diversity. That's great. And thank you so much for coming on and thank you for your work. Um, if people want to connect with you, um, what's, the, what's the best way to find you? And, and kind of, <laughs> okay, awesome. 
Yeah, LinkedIn. I mean, we have a we have like a an email on our like benefit website. I mean, you can always inquire and ask things. But if you want to connect directly with me, just uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, and I'd love to chat. That's how you and I, that's how Mario and I got connected. So it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening, and thanks again for for joining us, Mia. Thank you, Mario. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.